0: Welcome back. It is time for my favorite hour of the week. It is time for my side of the universe on KOAL 1073 FM and 750 AM. I'm your host Todd Wilcox and today we have a guest named Nick Seneca Jankel. He is the author of a couple different books. The ones we're going to talk the one that we'll talk about mostly today is called Spiritual Atheist. He also has one called Switch On. And you can go to his website at switchonnow.com and see the things he does. Now, when you hear the term uh, spiritual atheist, don't let that shock you. It's, it's good. It's not, <laughs> it's not teaching you to be an atheist or anything like that. You're going to be surprised at the insights he has and the, and the really good things we're going to be talking about today. I can't wait. To get going, uh, I do want to mention that our sponsors are Eastern Utah Tourism and History Association. You can find them downtown Price, and you can visit their website at www.eutha.org. Eutha, uh, I think it's youth, uh, org, and see the things they have. They have great things, gifts year-round gifts. Uh, Place. You know, even if it's just a if you just have 10 minutes and you want to go talk about paranormal. Love, they would love to talk to you about ghosts or anything else paranormal. Just swing in there and say hi. And for those of you that like this show, maybe like it a lot, we have something special. The first 120 shows are now put together in a format on eBay. If you search my side of the universe on eBay, you'll find the first 120 shows put together on a drive uh, for just $49.99. A really good gift, and it has everybody you can think of that we've that we've had on here: uh, Jim Vieira, uh, David Jacobs, many many people from Ancient Aliens, uh, Diane Collins, all the favorites. Every single person that's been on is on that. So that might be something to look at for a gift as well. But we'll be back in just a moment with more My Side of the Universe on KOAL 1073 FM and 750 AM. Welcome back to My Side of the Universe on KOAL 107.3 FM and 7.50 AM. I have a very special guest today. He's coming to us virtually from the other side of the earth, or at least a long way away. We have Nick Seneca-Jenkel, and we're going to be talking about his book, Spiritual Atheist. You can find him on uh, his website, Switch On Now. Dot .com and I would encourage you to do that as we get started. Of course, if you're driving, don't do it, but your passenger certainly can. And also if you're at home, be sure to do that so you get a little bit better idea of what we're talking about today. Nick, welcome to my side of the universe. Great. Glad to be <laughs> on your side. <laughs> it's in my opinion it's the best side, but you know other people have different opinions. <laughs> so, I'm really interested in your book. Um You're looking to combine science back in with spirituality, if I understand it right, spirituality and um, just getting the wisdom back into this instead of having it separate. Am I close on what you're after?
1: Yeah, I'm after a full understanding of of our universe, our whole universe, both sides of the universe. And my understanding, having been a scientist and being very influenced by Science and um, atheism uh, is that um, it's still it's not a complete understanding of the universe, and we need to reintroduce what you might call consciousness or your inner experience, your subjective experience, um, your the wisdom that comes through subjective experience, uh, which we can call spirituality. And we need to have both of those. We need science and spirituality in order to understand, ultimately. Our place in the universe, and more practically, what to do next with every decision.
0: Yeah, and the the whole idea of consciousness now, and looking at things. Um, I guess I guess science is looking at things different. Instead of, uh, I have a, a really wonderful guest that comes on quite a bit named Diane Collins. That talks about she talks about how um, you know for the last three hundred years we've we've been working things kind of like a machine, we want to break it down to a small part, see how the, the thing works together, and then that, that's how it operates. When what we're finding now is that it's more of a consciousness operation. It, it Not always does um, one plus one equal two, or, you know, it's not always as simple as we once thought. It's very complex because there's so many factors Uh, bouncing on things is is that how you're seeing consciousness as as kind of a field that that we're operating in and and everything is affected by everything yeah
1: basically for me consciousness is what goes on inside the machine that no amount of prodding and poking with electrodes and fMRI scanners will ever account for or tell us much about. So science is definitely very good at analysing and we want it to. We want to know all these little bits and how things work and the, 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 the mechanism, the clock um, that, that the early scientists thought of the universe as. We want them to carry on looking at all the parts of the clock. What we don't want them to do is then say, well, we can't find any evidence in the clock for consciousness Therefore, we're just going to have to say it doesn't exist because in that moment, we deny um an equally rich strand of information and insight, which is what comes from within. And we need both. and that's and 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 my book is really about how can that work? What does it look like? And how do you then live it practically? How do you make decisions, business decisions, life decisions, health decisions? with a healthy respect for both science and consciousness, and without trying to make one better than the other, because you need both. Because for me, they're, they're actually exactly two parts of the same whole, that one's on the inside, one's on the outside, and they'll forever remain that way. So we want to bring them both back within us, otherwise we end up being either aggressively religious and ideological and ignoring um, the benefits of scientific research and knowledge, Um, Or we become furiously atheistic and cynical and we discount all the intuition, the love, the peace, the the, the joy that we feel inside.
0: So, I'm trying to think, as I'm looking at at the world, and, and I still see a pretty big separation between science and religion. Um, I, I think there's been some great inroads where you, you're seeing scientists that are very religious and and, and, and vice versa where they um, even the, the hardcore religions are starting to look uh, you know the other way as well. but how do you combine those two what what um, if you could tell us and I know this is a gigantic question but <laughs> how do you get those two to work together those those two, big different thoughts. Um, it, it seems to me on just a, a peripheral level looking at it that, that they should coexist just fine, but we don't always do that. How do we get those two to work together?
1: Well, in my sort of more practical work, I study a lot the process of transformation, of, of, of changing our minds, of paradigm shifting. And with all shifts in paradigm, we have to first let go of something and then we get something new. So there's a two-stage answer to your question. So I don't actually believe that religion... Well, I'll be clear. If we have ideological beliefs in religion and or ideological beliefs about science, then these two worlds will always remain polar opposites, totally separate and uh, incommensurable. They they can't work together. And the problem of that is it creates, I believe, a schism in our modern mind, and in our modern world, where these two parts of us, natural parts of us, are at war. You have the faith people arguing, the science people arguing, and, and literally it's become a quite dangerous war. It's a vociferous and and um, vitriolic war between these two camps. So the first thing you can do is to become non-ideological. And what I mean by that is give up believing that your narrative, whether it's a scientific story or whether it's a religious story, is the only story and the absolute truth. In that moment, we retreat from religion and we return back to spirituality. Um, And in that moment, we retreat from science as an ideology, a dogma with its own priests, and it returns back to being a methodology of understanding the material world. And once you get once you let go of those two ideologies, you realize, oh, I can be scientific and rigorous when I'm studying things under microscopes and telescopes and and, um, studying the material world. But when it comes to the conscious experience, science is pretty rubbish. And the best way of understanding conscious experience is some form of meditation um, or ecstatic experience or shamanic experience or psychedelic experience. Um, And we can start to investigate our two realities. The fact that we are material—we are flesh and blood and nerves and cells—and I'd like to know if I have cancer, I want to have a scan and see where the tumor is and where, it, you know, what's what it's pressing on and whatever. At the same time, I also want to go inside and work out: Do I have anything in my consciousness that is um, contributing to this uh, condition? And the walls between these two worlds comes down. The the war comes down. In fact, we've been at war for 400 years, right? between religion and science, and actually there doesn't need to be because we can have both. In fact, I go one step further to say we have to have both to thrive, and no human being can thrive, I believe, in this world without having access to both uh, a profound spirituality um, and a decent understanding of how the world works.
0: I, I love the term profound spirituality. Um, can you Can you go into that a little bit more?
1: Yes, well, I I'm, I come from a school of spirituality which one would call, could call non-dual. So I don't believe there's two things in the world ever. I believe there's only one thing. And then when we experience that one thing, we we feel everything's connected, and we feel unity, and we feel um, a sense of of um, continuity between us and others, us and the world, us and uh, our car, uh, us and the, a stone on the street. And I believe that experience in the world, in the, in the way that human beings speak, um, comes up as love. We feel it as this thing called love. So it's just the, the human metaphor for connection. But we can also experience it as truth. Um, we can experience different things, and that for me is a profound spirituality. That's the that's the I believe the path of all religions. Initially, not now, but initially existed as a um, journey to find that uh, truth. That what people call the mystical truth, the realization, the epiphany of enlightenment, of oneness. And that, for me, is a profound spirituality uh, because it then needs everything in our world to reorient around that. It's like we change the North Pole, and as soon as you change the North Pole, the globe of our consciousness has to change. And it takes many years, in my experience, to really clean out old thinking and and sort of reorient our lives around this idea of love and oneness. That for me is profound spirituality that can, I believe, map on to a, also a profoundly religious life, but it doesn't have to. And um, that's where I think that my key, one of my key sort of points is that you can be very religious and not at all spiritual. I'm not sure that's very helpful to the world. Um, and you can be very spiritual, um, but not at all religious. And I think that's uh, more useful as long as your spirituality isn't what I call the sort of fruit salad spirituality where you take the bits you like and you leave all the bits you don't like, which is usually the hard work of um, healing yourself. <laughs> so, I
0: love it. The fruit salad.
1: <laughs> so you can imagine the, actually, I was I was uh, in Northern California a few years ago and um, I was in this fruit salad, uh, massive salad uh, bar. Um, and uh, there was this, oh God, I can't remember the name of it. it, it it's um, ambrosia, something that you don't have in England. Okay, um, And that's when I realized, you know, we, we can't just take the ambrosia, the joy, the moment of bliss, all the sort of yoga yoga for bliss or dancing for bliss, anti-meditation, disciplined self-mastery, dealing with our trauma, our anger, our rage, our distrust. That's the real work of spirituality is when you get into that stuff.
0: Excellent. Uh, and, yeah, and I've, you know, on a very <laughs> – Oh, this this is not a very enlightened way to say it, but I've I've seen many people that are so involved with the religion that they've they've missed the spirituality. Um, and then I I think there's a lot of people, at least in my experience, that that are very spiritual, doing the work, all the things you're talking about, but really don't get involved with an organized religion. And you know how how much are you thinking they're missing out by by leaving that part out? Do, do you think there's a component that they should be getting?
1: And I don't actually. In fact, one of the um, slightly tongue-in-cheek uh, sort of subtitles of my, but not subtitles, sort of descriptor of my book when we first mm-hmm. talked about the the marketing was uh, the Bible for the spiritual, not religious. Uh-huh. And. That's kind of what my book is for. It's for all the and it's like thirty percent of millennials or and and a um, so the large number of people in the world um, who feel something deeply spiritual, but they love science, they love the real world, they love you know iPhones and and the internet and whatever. Um, they don't believe in any organized religion, but they feel spiritual. But they, but certainly for me, my journey when I when I realized that I felt this guilt because I couldn't work out how the science and the modernity and the technology worked with this sort of non-religious spirituality. So I kind of wrote the book for those people, for people who are, feel something. And it could be with a baby. It could be walking on a mountain. It could be um, dancing. It could be um, meditating. Feel this sense of this oneness, this unity, this love, this connectivity we all have, but can't make sense of how to think about it. Without religion, and I believe we can, and, and in some ways I believe we must. That's not to say that I don't have some very close religious colleagues and friends, but they're all non-ideological. They're, they, you know, they they might believe in in their own narrative—a Christian or Jewish or Muslim narrative—but um, what they really are is, is they're using that narrative and that those rituals and those. Um, communities to become devoted to be devotional and that's what ultimately all comes down to is can we be devotional and if you want to go to church to do that that's great um but then don't become dogmatic so actually i got a new catchphrase from from this moment a devotional but not not dogmatic um i think there's quite a big difference
0: yeah i and i actually wrote that down that is that is a very good descriptor, uh, because I, I was a little bit—I um, was trying to combine what you were, what you were doing—and I think that really wraps it up nicely. Uh, Nick, we're about to go for a commercial break here, but we'll be back, folks, with more uh, Nick Seneca Jenkel talking about his book, uh, *Spiritual Atheist*, and. Before, before we come back, be sure to go to his website, switch on now, and get a little bit better idea of what we're talking about today. But we'll be right back with more on my side of the universe on KOAL 107.3 FM and 7.50 AM. Welcome back to My Side of the Universe on KOAL 107.3 FM and 7.50 AM. I'm your host, Todd Wilcox, and today we have Nick Seneca-Jenkel with us. And he is talking about his book, Spiritual Atheist, and his website. You can go to switchonnow.com get a better idea of what we're talking about here and and see the the work he's done. Uh, And Nick, while we're on break we were talking about, you know, some of the response that you've had from the book and, and how negative both sides of this have been. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit with us?
1: Yeah, uh, it's, been, it's been a an uncomfortable book to write in many ways, which is good for me, stretched me. Um, it actually was not also not the book I was writing at the time. It sort of came to me in, in about two hours. I literally, the whole thing just went. Um, and in the two years of writing it, I didn't really stray from that um that download as you might call it and uh it's probably the first time I've made such a huge um business decision based upon just a deep sense of intuition that this book should be written by me now um but I'll give you two examples of the reactions so the uh, in the UK release and the UK is a very atheist country um way more than the US it's like kind of as atheist as sort of New York uh and then, but the whole country is like that. There is no Bible Belt. There is no religion area. Um, and um, The Guardian is a, is a newspaper that, that I actually read regularly. It's um, kind of like the New York Times, I'd say, something like that, or Washington Post. Okay. And the journal, one of the journalists that my PR guy sent the book to um, actually not just didn't want to read the book or didn't think anything of me, he actually de- subscribe to the PR guys um, email newsletter with wow. the book after 10 years of being on it after just seeing the title spiritual atheist wow um, and no single um, no single mainstream UK uh, publication wanted to have anything to do with it um, which is interesting because I actually w- I was part of that world I was a Cambridge Doctor, you know medic. So that was sort of on the one side, and that you know you've seen that also recently with TED, you know the TED talks taking down other people who who talk about spirituality and science, um, censoring us uh-huh. um, out of the um, mainstream debate. So that's kind of one experience, um, and then you know many sneering comments uh, about the word spiritual in my title, and then on the other hand. Pretty much weekly at the moment, I'm getting um, people who are taking the time and the energy to go onto my website, not looking at the meditations, downloading the free stuff, um, watching the videos, but going to the contact form and sending me like kind of, I think you could only call it hate mail, um, basically that I'm going to go to hell for what I'm saying. Um, And that's quite interesting. You know, the first one time I read it, I was like, wow, this is what people call trolling, I believe, in the modern (laughs) world. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So I was like... I'd never been trolled before. Wow, this is my first trolling. Uh, and I guess it's a good thing to provoke someone to bother going beyond social media and actually emailing you. Um, so in a way, that's kind of shown me that this is why the book is important, or, or, or not so much the book, the, the thinking in it. Um, and if people actually read it, I think they would find it's, uh, you know, I mean, I had a quote from one of the early reviewers who was very atheistic, who said, you know, it's rigorous. It's intelligent, it's imaginative, and it's about as much as you could do to bring a hardcore, to challenge the thinkers of a, the thoughts of a very hardcore atheist. And I think that's the same with uh, in a in a religion for for a very hardcore religious person. Um, it's a measured book, and it's about my life story. So you know, it's it's very personal um, how I myself went from first of all being a bar mitzvahed and realizing it just wasn't connecting with me, uh, through my years as a, uh, profoundly anti-religious atheist, uh, hating new age stuff. Like literally would just sneer and snarl at it. And then age 30 sort of falling on my face and realizing that no amount of technology, no amount of being smart could get me through all the trauma and the pain and suffering in my heart. And the only path that was left after I tried partying, drugs, Um, uh, entrepreneurship making lots of money becoming famous all that stuff did nothing and the only way i've got to any form of peace and love inside me has been through this very profound journey into my um my heart
0: wow and and that journey you were you were speaking of meditation was that a big part of it was there other things that that took place Uh, as far as what you did can can you kind of take us through that process that sounds very fascinating Mm.
1: well I'd already been in psychotherapy which I recount in the book and I give the reader a little potted history of psychotherapy and psychology and where it's been helpful and where it sort of I think went wrong Um, but it, it was very helpful to a certain point but it couldn't seem to relieve the pain it could help me manage the pain my psychological pain, my emotional pain, but it couldn't help me m- to resolve the pain, dissolve it. And for that, I needed to get into a different uh, plane of being, uh, which people talk about being in the heart rather than in the mind. Most psych- psychotherapy is very mindy, cognitive. Yes. And that's great. You know, you definitely need to look at some of your belief systems and your narratives and all that stuff. Great. Absolutely crucial part of what I teach uh, in healing. But until you can actually heal the trauma, the pain, the dislocation of yourself from love in your heart, none of the other stuff really lasts very long. Um, and so that and that work takes quite a long time. And what I discovered kind of annoyingly, um, because I didn't really want to be a spiritual person, if I'm honest with you. Is that it wasn't sort of, it's not very cool in England to be spiritual. Um, and um, I was very worried about being cool. And so I kind of realized, I came to this sort of a, a very important realization in my life that the only thing that I could find that was big enough to help me actually release my fear and pain and suffering in my heart was this experience of oneness. And um, I first got there through, um, shamanic ways, um, in different parts of the world. Um, but I realized quickly that that pathway, that shamanic or psychedelic pathway, um, is just a way of showing you what's possible that you can do on your own. You know, you don't have to have any of these, um, medicine substances or, or, or any of this extremeness. Um, but it definitely showed me quicker than 20 years of meditation, which, you know, takes a long time. So, but now I can get, through, in meditation, I can get very quickly to this this experience. If I don't even really need to meditate anymore, um, I do uh, for other reasons. But to experience the feeling that helps me then heal myself in real time, because there's always more trauma coming up in, in my life, in in moments of trigger. I've got two little kids, I've got a committed uh, relationship, which you know, collaborations, whatever business. Um, I can get very quickly to that feeling of 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 love pulsing like liquid through my body and then I can bring up the feeling of pain, the idea, the memory, whatever it is, and I can let it go. Um and that really is the, the, the fulcrum or the crux of all of all healing.
0: And and do you discuss this in your book? Is this oh, yeah. part of your book? Okay.
1: Yeah. It is, although I will say the practical steps of how to do that, it was actually in my first book, which is called Switch On, like the company. Um, You can find that book on uh, Amazon and uh, Barnes and Noble, whatever. And that book is much more of a step-by-step guide, A a little bit of theory and a little bit of science, but it's mainly a practical guide to how you do this. And then the second book, Spiritual Atheist, was kind of like, okay, how do you make sense of all the stuff I go through in the first book? What's the sort of philosophy behind it? And this so spiritual atheist is really a kind of accessible philosophy book on how you how you make sense of healing, transformation, um intuition, whether in leadership, in love. Um how do you use how do you speak about these things that the materialist atheist world doesn't really like to hear about? And if you use them, people will go, oh my god, you're so woo woo, you can't be in my business. Or you know, you can't be uh, working with my leadership team. So I needed a really strong philosophy to be able to talk about this stuff in a way that doesn't bring about some of the more dangerous successes of the new age um, scene.
0: Understood, yeah. That, yeah. It's it's shocking that you have to walk such a tightrope um, <laughs> to, to be able to help people. Um, but there, there it is.
1: Um, it is. It is. It's interesting, though, because that tightrope is actually in some ways a great metaphor for what I think the reconciliation of science and spirituality is, is like a tightrope. And there's there's a metaphor I use in my first book about um, really everything in life, I think, comes from pulling together things that seem to be opposites. Um, And I think partly what wisdom is, is about realizing that um, love and hate or control and Creativity or whatever are two polarities of the same actual thing. Um, and one of the very earliest philosophers in the West, called Heraclitus, and we've only got a few literally te- bits of paper of his thinking, but he has this wonderful image of um, where he says something like, We think things are opposites, but actually they're part of one string. And that's why you're, when you brought it to mind, this idea of this uh, tightrope. And actually, walking on the tightrope is the art of life. The tightrope between being protective and being competitive, and being looking out for ourselves, and the other end of it, being loving, collaborative, and caring. And we need to be somewhere between the two. And I think that tightrope is actually, in some ways, though it's been painful to have to walk it, but it's actually made me who I am.
0: Ah, so yeah, and that's kind of you know just what you were saying. As I'm perceiving something as as overly difficult and and unfortunate, it, it's actually something that that drew you to where you needed to be. Um, so it was both ends of that spectrum, or you know the balancing pole. Uh, yeah. As you're going, across and can you that.
1: dance? In the question, the question is, can you dance on the tightrope? That's a. Can you relax enough to dance on the tightrope?
0: Well, I can't even relax enough to dance on a dance floor, so I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm in deep trouble with that. So the, the tightrope dance is out of the question. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll see what I can do. I, I, uh, Excellent. I, I'm not even sure what to call the moves I have. Um, <laughs> I do, when we come back, we're going to be going to break in, in just a moment here, so I hate to get started on it, but I love that – what you talked about with the download, uh, so we'll for sure be talking about that. Um, but maybe before we we go to our break, you mentioned uh, being in being in your heart instead of mind. And I th- I'm I'm gonna say that I'm mostly in mind, and would would love to be able to move more towards heart. Can you talk about that a little bit before we go to break?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's the big, it's, you know, there there are a, a thousand books on this, just that topic. Um, it's one of the, it's the, someone actually said, you know, the greatest journey a human will make is from the 18 inches from their mind to their heart. And so it's not uncommon. Um, it's, you know, I was in my head for my entire life until pain and suffering brought me to rock bottom and made me go into my heart. And in fact, in my first book, there's a wonderful Sufi uh, the mystical Islamic path of Sufism. A wonderful quote that says, "The the heart is woken to life um, by a blow, um, by suffering, by pain, by agony, by addiction, whatever it is." So, um, I mean, even now, I, you know, I, I practice in my heart regularly. But I'm we're so good at being in our heads. We're, we're taught to be in our heads, right? By by the system. Um, I can I can think I'm being in my heart, but I'm actually in my head. And I'm like talking on a stage or I'm teaching leaders. And I think I'm being super open-hearted and loving. And my wife, who co-facilitates with me, by the way, uh, often is like, Nick, dude, you're really in your head. And I'm like, really? Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> so
0: okay.
1: It's, a, it's, a, it's easy to get just sort of, we get our ego just run, you know, hijacks everything and just runs a, a mock with it. Um, but when we first start getting into our heart, uh, what we usually find is the reason we don't like being in it is because there's lots of p- sadness in it and lots of pain in it. And we have to start getting really okay with feeling that pain and that sadness um, before we can get some of the more joyful pieces of the heart experience, um, which is why I think a lot of people avoid it, um, because in the heart is a lot of sadness.
0: Okay. there's um, that, that reminded me just before we go here. Um, I was going through a uh, sweat lodge ceremony, and we were, you know, as the waves of heat would hit you in that thing, at first I was looking for a way to kind of shield my face and shield me from that heat that was coming at me from what they were doing in that lodge. And then somebody said, no, you've got to accept that and let it let it come yeah. to you. And that, that's tr- truly what you just said, be okay with the pain and the sadness. And, and then you can, um, you know, I just, I went right back to that sweat lodge when you said that. So I... I yeah, the heat
1: yeah. bringing you in to discomfort and out of your head because you can't think about it. Otherwise, it's just you want to leave, right?
0: Exactly. Yeah, so that, that, that is awesome. Uh, Nick, we'll be back in just a moment uh, talking, uh, and everybody else out there will be back in just a second talking more with Nick uh, Seneca-Jenkel about his books and website on my side of the universe on KOAL 107.3 FM and 7.50 AM. Welcome back to My Side of the Universe on KOAL, 107.3 FM and 7.50 AM. I'm your host, Todd Wilcox, and we are having so much fun talking to Nick Jenkel today uh, about his book, uh, Spiritual Atheist, and also his older book, Switch On, and his website, Switch On Now. Be sure to go look at that and see the different things he has. As he told you, there's some free stuff on there. Everybody likes free stuff. Go see what <laughs> he's got there. So, Nick, when you were talking uh, or in the last segment, you mentioned that 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 whole book came to you in kind of a download over a two hour span. Can you tell me a little bit more about what happened that day, how it what and, and also what your perceptions were of that download, how it how it affected you?
1: So yeah, I've always been quite suspicious of this whole download idea. Um, and you know my my atheistic skepticism would be like, yeah, whatever, dude. <laughs> um, and But as I've deepened my understanding of consciousness, then for me, a download makes perfect sense. And I'll come back to some of the what I think is going on in a download in a moment. I'll just tell you the story because it has a, a huge lashing of irony. I went to the very synagogue that I'd been bar mitzvahed in, uh, that I'd actually done a sermon in. Um, age fifteen, denouncing religion and saying God is for losers and uh, whatever. And so, so I was back in that place because my mother's still a, uh, a committed member of the community, and she invited me to a dinner um, with a bunch of soldiers, Israeli soldiers who were like special forces. They're kind of like the the. Um, the Israeli version of the um, Navy SEALs. Okay. And she's like, I think you're really interested. I find it interesting. They've been doing like a five-day sort of psych- psychological healing process um, for the PTSD and whatever have gone on from what they've seen and done. And I was put next to the, the sort of head of the unit, the colonel. And he's a profoundly religious man, but also very mystical. He's asking me, you know, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm, you know, kind of like a modern mystic, um, but I also, you know, I do that work in leadership and in personal development. But my core belief is this idea of oneness and love. And he was like, whoa, how on earth could you be not religious and have anything uh, spiritual or mystical going on inside you? Like, so he he believed that you could only have mysticism okay. and spirituality and love if you were in a, a fully committed to a religion. And so I started telling him, you know, a bit about my journey. And literally, I ordered an Uber, which is in London, so you get a visual. Uh, I ordered, ordered an Uber, and by the time I got home in the for, in the Uber, which is only about 20 minutes, I had literally written out every chapter heading um, for this book, and only one chapter had changed for the whole two years of writing it. Like, I added one chapter, basically. Um, and I've never—that's never happened to me before. You know, editing, you rewrite everything and change everything. And um, so, for me, that was like a, like a something about that evening was meant to occur. What I talk about in the book, uh, synchronicities, meaningful coincidences. And I did what we all have a choice to do, which is choose whether to listen to the download, AKA listen to your intuition. Or overrule it with your mind and what your plan is and your project and your goals and your deadlines and all the stuff that we use to overrule our intuition, uh, which usually come from fear. So I put aside this, another project I was working on, and I just started writing writing this book within days. I just said to the universe, as I I dialogue with the universe, and I just said, okay, listen, I'm going to totally give space for this, download this channel, uh, this content to this channel. And, you know, it'd be great if you could make it, you know, a reasonably painless process, (laughs) at which point uh, the universe laughed in my face and said, um, yeah, I'll make it as challenging as I possibly can because that's how you grow. So I was like, okay, great, in hindsight. Um, But that was it. That was the download. And um, I believe that that we can't really be in the right place in our lives and we can't make the right decisions without – understanding what that download feeling feels like and where, where and where, and when we our ego is hijacking it and pretending it's a download and it's not a download. Um, it's just our ego doing more of what our ego does. And so that's a really crucial part of living a spiritual life, not necessarily believing in anything specific. But can you understand what I call in the book, the difference between intuition and instinct? And they can feel very similar. Um, And instinct brings us into usually fear and competition and, and um, things that don't create thriving and intuition almost invariably brings us into a more thriving experience of life.
0: So how that, that, that is, I, and I've, I've, I believe that both things have taken place with me and probably our listeners as well. How, what, what are the cues? What are the keys? How do you know when you're when you're dealing with intuition as, as opposed, uh, you know, obviously you said competition and fear is in the instinct, um, but sometimes it's, it feels like there's both things attached to the same thought. And so- <laughs>
1: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no one said it would be easy. And that's what <laughs> I think this is why when people talk about spiritual practice, it's really important to remember it's a practice. You have to do it every day, many times a day discerning what am i feeling is this anger is this fear or is this love and connection is this intuition is this instinct so it's a again a big question and i go into it in much more detail but just a real short uh one way of thinking about it one way of, of testing um, for me instinct is um part of our survival mechanism and so it's it's very powerful and very good you know we want instinct when a car's hurtling towards us on a freeway. We want instinct to get us out of the way. Um it's loud. It's uh what's the word? It's sort of it's in it's it's naggy. Um it's um quite crude. In many ways it's like a kind of drill sergeant from a sort of Vietnam movie, it's sort of yelling in our face, do this, avoid that, run away get on the stage, you know, you get the girl, you get the medal, you get the whatever. Um, so it's quite coarse. And in many situations, it's not very appropriate. So if you're in a, again, if you're in a survival situation, then you should listen to that instinct. But if you're in a non-survival situation, which is like 99% of all our situations, um, it's not going to be very helpful, that voice. That But the other voice, the intuition, which we can come back to that um, wonderful um, Christian hymn, um, the still small voice of calm. It's it's a different quality of of, of information and, and voice within us. It's much quieter, no less insistent, and in fact maybe more insistent, more committed. It doesn't change um, over time very much. It's sort of still saying, "Listen, go do that thing. Go do that thing. Uh, go study. Go go ask the girl. Go go back and get back with your ex. Whatever it is." But it's very quiet, and so therefore you all immediately get to realize that one of the ways of discerning between intuition and instinct is, is becoming quiet. And this is why meditation is such a wonderful practice, some form. It doesn't have to be Zen or anything or or, or, or any specific form, but it's learning to quieten down our body and our mind so we can start to feel a kind of an energy somewhere in the body or or, or even a, you know, a language, words. Um, and then we can test them over time. We can reflect on them with others. We can go back. And uh, that's the sort of beginning for me of sort of 101 of instinct versus intuition. Um, and uh, general rule is not to act until we're, we're sure, unless you're in a survival situation. So if you're driving right now, um, please act immediately on your survival instincts. Um, but if you're stressed out or or deciding something that has a lifelong consequence, take some time. And then once you decide, go big and go bold and go into a lot of action. But take time to reflect. Um, It's one of the great things I teach leaders, which so few leaders really do, is give yourself time to reflect. And that's a very precious time in the modern world.
0: Without question. And when do you... when do you find the time personally? Is it something you do daily, nightly, weekly?
1: It's something I do daily. Um, and my mind and body, which I call the body mind in my books, because um, they're not two things, it's one thing, um, is very attuned to my intuition. And if I'm not giving myself the time to reflect and to listen, it will wake me up at four in the morning. Um, make me pay attention by making me freak out or have like a panic moment of of three in the morning, you know, fears. And that's when I know I have to do some serious inner work. Um, And I usually don't get to sleep until I've done the work, you know, transformed the emotion, listened to the the voice. That happened last night. I I was up twice, not just once. I was awake at three to four, did some really good work, thought, okay, I'm cooked, went back to sleep. (laughs) An hour later, I'm, up again with the same thing and then today my wife and i wrote a very important email to a community we're part of um and that intuitive truth that download that channel was what we then reformed the email to align with so um yeah if we listen to our body mind it might come across as something unpleasant but it's it's really important that, that information is coming to us
0: Uh, yeah. And that, that really struck a chord with me. I tend to be awake several times at night having those things too. But, uh, instead of doing that inner work, I've typically just gotten irritated and, uh, (laughs) and you know, (laughs) I, I, that, that really struck a chord for me. So thank you. That's something that I will definitely be looking at, uh, during those, uh, one, two, three, four o'clock in the morning adventures that I, I tend tend to go on, <laughs> um, so I I do appreciate that. Um, let's see, there was something else. One other, um, and this this is going back a little bit to where we were talking about um, mind and and um, mind and heart when mm. when people talk about being fully present. Is that a function of mind or is that a function of heart?
1: That's an amazing question. Let me just sit with that for a second um, and not race to answer it. And uh, presence is a big thing for me. Um, In fact, many of our problems disappear when we're present, it feels. Um, And there's a whole chunk of my leadership programs, which is about presence. Okay. Um, I think presence is probably something like, we are coming from the heart, but our mind is clear and aware and and involved. Um, but our heart is the, is the sort of dominant um, factor. Um, so we're acting from the heart, listening from the heart, but we're clarifying in the mind. Um, and that, I think, is something to do with presence. Um, it's a really important thing to understand presence. Uh, and having small children is a wonderful teaching aid to um, what happens when you're not present because they tell you. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Again, not usually pleasantly. Um, you know, a whining child is often whining, certainly in my experience of my two boys, <laughs> because I'm not present with them and I'm doing something else or I'm on my phone or I'm thinking about a podcast I'm about to be on and, and they really just want me to be there God. listening, yeah. present.
0: Very good, uh, and that that I love that uh, coming from the heart, but the mind is is clear, aware, and involved. Uh, that really really nails it down, and that's that's something that I've struggled with is being fully present. There's certain things I can do, whether it's cooking or, or reading or uh, writing, sometimes uh, where I am fully present. But for the most of my day, I'm I'm bouncing around, uh, you know, juggling about 80 different thoughts. And so, the, <laughs> I I like what you talked about, and and I'm looking forward to spending some time on your website and snooping around, and and uh, seeing how I can't tighten that up a little bit. Uh, we we are just about out of time, Nick. Is there anything you would like to talk about before we go today that I haven't that we haven't addressed?
1: Well, I just like to, I'm going to just loop back. So we started talking about some big philosophical things around science and spirituality and whatever. And then we ended up very practically talking about intuition. I just wanted to bring it back and say that the reason why I believe we can have downloads um, and we can have intuition is that if you imagine it, that our our material body is not connected to everything. My, my hand is not connected to yours right now. And so I can't get any information from you through my hand um, in the way that, say, nerves fire. Information, so I don't have access to your information. But inside, in our subjectivity, I believe we have this thing called consciousness, which seems to be connected to everyone else's consciousness. It seems to be one thing, and so for me, that gives us an amazing experience as a human being. And I think this is really the purpose of life, and certainly the purpose of leadership, is to channel stuff that's not yet in the material world, but, but it's in consciousness, possibility, innovation, ideas, um, creativity. And as a human being, we get to channel from the the possible world into the actual world through our heart, our mind, and our hands, and what we call head, heart, hand in our work. And that, just to sort of come full circle, is why I believe we need spirituality and science, is if you're all spirituality, then you can't make projects happen. You can't build amazing things. Um, But if you're all material, then you build the wrong things. You know, if you're Silicon Valley without any spirituality, just build the wrong apps that aren't helping the world. But if we can harness this love, this connection, this conscious potentiality, channel it, download it through our brain and our nerves, make it change what our hands do, then we can build all the solutions we need for all the many, many, many problems that we face in the world.
0: Wow. Uh, Nick, that was quite possibly the, the best 90 seconds that I've ever had on this show. Uh, oh, thank, you. <laughs> thank you that was fantastic and uh, i love that we get to end the show on that uh and I, but i wish we could expand on it um unfortunately we are done for today thank you nick for joining us on my side of the universe and we'll be back in just a moment with more on koal 1073 fm and 750 a.m Welcome back to My Side of the Universe on KOAL 107.3 FM and 7.50 AM. Once again, that was the fastest hour of the week and for sure my favorite hour of the week. Uh, Nick really brought it today and uh, couldn't be happier. It was a great show. That last 90 seconds, Uh, unbelievable. So uh, be sure to uh, check us out online, see it again, and um, see it again. Hear it again if you you want (laughs) to. Go to castlecountryradio.com and and uh, listen to it again. Uh, our sponsors are Eastern Utah Tourism and History Association. Go down and see those guys. They're in downtown Price at the old 911 Pond, and just say hi. Say hi, Bobcat. Hi, Sue Ann. Talk to them. Uh, even if you're not buying anything, it's best if you do because you know they're a business. So it's it's nice if you buy something, but you don't have to. Go in there and talk ghosts. Um, they'll have a, they'll be fun. They're always fun to be around. Uh, and they have a ghost there, so go see the ghost or and, and talk to the ghost that they have in their place. Uh, you know, it was a fun day today. My my head is spinning. When we get a guest that really hits some nerves with me, and and hopefully hit the same nerves with you, uh, I find it difficult to settle down. And as you can hear with my babbling, I'm having a hard time settling down after that that conversation. So. I just want to thank Nick for being on. and hope you enjoyed it half as much as I do. If you did, you really enjoyed it. Uh, be with us next week. We're going to have more good stuff. And remember that you matter. Till you multiply yourself by the speed of light squared, then you energy. We'll see you next week on my side of the universe on KOAL 1073 FM and 750 AM.